A very good Monday. Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature agricultural news reports, I'll bring you national and regional agricultural news headlines. And I'll start with regional ag news right after this. This segment is sponsored by Bee Hero, the leading almond pollination provider. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP Sales at 559-467-9699. Be hero, superior bees, superior pollination. The series of atmospheric river storms that pelted California and caused flooding and mudslides in recent weeks has led to at least 20 related deaths and damages are expected to exceed $1 billion. President Joe Biden authorized California's disaster declaration, activating federal authorities like the Federal Emergency Management Agency to assist the response and recovery efforts. The Internal Revenue Service announced the postponement of certain tax filing and payment deadlines for those who live or operate a business in a disaster area. Area. And the U.S. Department of Agriculture is offering disaster assistance programs to aid California farmers dealing with crop, land, infrastructure, and livestock losses. Local, state, and national organizations are also on the ground to support Californians coping with the aftermath in real time. If you are interested in helping, here are some of the organizations that you can donate to. The California Fire Foundation, American Red Cross, Food Bank of Santa Barbara County, Community Foundation of Santa Cruz County, and Direct Relief, which is headquartered in Santa Barbara County. The December position report released by the Almond Board of California here recently showed December almond shipments reached 206 million pounds. That's a 9% increase year on year and only 2% below the five-year average. The figures were above average industry expectations prior to the release, with a majority of market participants surveyed by Mintech ahead of the release of the report estimating December shipments in a range of 185 to 195 pounds. New sales picked up compared to historical averages with 235 million pounds of sales recorded in December. This was below levels in 2021 to 2022 of minus 12 million pounds and 2020 to 2021 of minus 74 million pounds, but above the five-year average of over 21 million pounds. The industry sold position continued to lag at 52% sold, down four percentage points on the year and nine percentage points below the five-year average. Looking forward, there was a concern among sellers that unless ship pick up, ending stocks could remain close to 800 million pounds. One U.S. exporter said to Mintech that if they ship the same volume as last season at 2.6 billion pounds, ending stocks won't be reduced to a manageable figure. They need strong shipments in combination with lower crop receipts to make a significant dent to stocks this year. California producers and processors are invited to apply for funding of up to $1 million for innovation initiatives to become more competitive in a second round of Dairy Business Grant Awards recently announced by the Pacific Coast Coalition's Dairy Business Innovation Initiative hosted by California State University Fresno. The program will award funding to assist with innovative dairy product development, production, marketing, and distribution. The grants will range from $50,000 to $1 million, with the potential for up to 12 projects selected for funding. Application forms and submission details are available online at www.dairypcc.net front slash. The deadline to submit is February 28th of 2023. 
The most recent grapevine nursery survey performed by Allied Grape Growers indicates that once again, California growers planted somewhere between 16 to 18,000 new acres in 2022. Initial indications from the survey point to some interesting changes in planting dynamics. What started in 2021 as a noticeable shift away from planting Pinot Noir occurred with even more definition this past year. For the first time in many years, Pinot Noir will not rate with the double digits in terms of its percentage all vines planted. In fact, when the final numbers are tallied, it's possible it will no longer be in the top three of all varieties planted. What's gaining in popularity in terms of planting? Basically, Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc made an impressive showing with significantly more vines planted this past year than in any other recent years. Also, we are beginning to see the effects of planting contracts having been offered in the central interior of 2020 and 2021 by the increased amount of planting in the value segments of the industry. These amounts are not substantial, but it does indicate a change in behavior. French Columbard, Chardonnay, Florals, and Pinot Grigio all experienced increased interior planting activity in 2022. All in all, the initial indication from the nursery survey is that things are mostly status quo, with previous years' as trends continuing to play out. The mix of varieties planted is ever-changing, but once you move past the Cabernet Sauvignon and Chardonnay, the remaining varieties are planted in much lower volumes. They have little likelihood of significantly altering supply dynamics in a market. However, based on vineyard removals and considering the planning data obtained by the nursery survey, it appears California could be moving towards a slight uptick in bearing acreage for the future, assuming normal attrition. Grown year-round in California, carrots are one of the only few commodities in season that are seeing significant supply changes due to flooding right now. As a result, average week number three prices are up 5% over the previous week. At $18, carrot prices are at a 10-year high. Carrot markets will likely remain tight until South Georgia begins production in a couple of weeks. That according to Produce IQ. Soil and Crop Incorporated is your number one resource for sustainable nutrition. Growers are faced with difficult challenges, and Soil and Crop Inc. has the experience, fertilizer, and biological portfolio to dramatically increase yield and performance in your troubled orchards and fields. Contact Soil and Crop Incorporated today for a free consultation on how we can help reverse the challenges you face as a conventional or organic grower so you can increase your bottom line and become a better sustainable farmer. Contact us today at 559-564-1236 or visit our website at www.callnrg.com. Soil and Crop, putting nature to work for you. We continue to discuss the importance of almond pollination and pollinator health on the show, and more useful technology continues to be developed to find out more about how these pollinators behave. BeHero is deploying pollinator research stations with loads of technology across the state to measure such data. The more growers and industry understand about bee activity during the pollination season, the easier it is to protect them and encourage their natural services. There's on the front of the hive measuring uh, the bees going in and out. There's a bee counter, which uh, attaches to the entrance and it kind of has these little lasers uh, that measure whether it breaks the two lasers going in or out. So it depends which way that it breaks the lasers. It measures whether the bees going in and out. That attaches to a scale that's on the bottom of the hive that measures weight changes that kind of correlates to mostly the nectar that they're bringing in. And uh, the number of bees that are leaving and coming back in the morning, for example, can pick up on as well. Um, the in-hive sensors 
are the little uh, sensors that anybody that's seen us at a uh, conference or used our product has seen. It's a it's a little smaller than a, about the size of a golf ball and it clips onto the frames inside of the hives. So that's bringing back uh, temperature and humidity and acoustic. It's recording sounds and sending sounds back to our uh, databases. Um, and it also records light and movement inside of the hive. So like if you move the frame, it'll pick up on that agitation. Um, there are cameras outside of the colonies that are recording um, the bloom progress of the field. We try to put those on the uh, what most people consider the most important, their non-parel trees to uh, track the status of the bloom in each individual uh, location. And then we have a weather station there, which is something that tracks kind of our goal is to track the very local climate of that orchard because uh, it can change, the weather can change a lot in very kind of short distances is something we found in uh, the Central Valley. That was Charlie Nye, a researcher with Bee Hero, and he agreed that the station's abilities to measure local weather data is key as certain areas can have specific microclimates. The temperature in California at the time that we need the bees to fly is right on the cusp of the temperature that bees don't fly at, right? So it's like we're we're dancing right on the edge of uh, of disaster, kind of at all times. So the bees cluster at 57 degrees Fahrenheit, and they really don't want to come out of the hive. That's the kind of magical number that uh, you know science has agreed on. Uh, little tiny fluctuations in the weather can get them to come outside. If it's 56 degrees, but there's sun shining on the front of the hive, you're going to see the bees flying. And I know, you know, a little bit of wind blowing is going to make it feel colder. I know we can all relate to this, that, you know, 55 and sunny and no wind feels a lot different than uh, 55 with no sun and a 20 mile an hour wind blowing on you. So the bees react to that the same way we do. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they are incubating a large uh, area of young inside of that colony and they have to keep them warm. And that has to be their primary uh, concern at almost all times is keeping that space warm in there. So if it's not warm enough for the whole group to, uh, for, for a little part of the group to leave to go forage, they have to stay inside and protect the young. Tiny, those, those tiny differences, that's part of the, the, the weather station. The need for us to put weather stations is we have these sensors in place and we were trying to use kind of local data that other weather stations were collecting. And we would not see bees flying, even though it was 59 degrees Fahrenheit at the weather station. But then we started looking in the actual orchards we were in. And maybe the orchard we're in is just a, a few feet lower or it's, you know, behind a hill that we're not aware of. And there's more wind blowing there or there's uh, there's all sorts of these kind of microclimate issues that we were experiencing by trying to use other people's weather stations. So that's, uh, you know, I'm sure every uh, orchard owner is aware of the stress of your orchard having slightly different, uh, you know, even areas of the orchard that it might be cooler than it is in the entire, entire uh, space. The pollinator research stations haven't been around long, but they at first went by a different name, Sentinel Stations. The name change looked to clear up confusion about the purpose of the stations and encourage growers and beekeepers to utilize the data coming out of them. People didn't exactly understand what that meant. 
so there was a little bit of a uh, of confusion in the naming. We have only done this for one year. We started it in 2021, and uh, it kind of started as uh, a way to open up our research and show uh, the public what we're collecting, what we were already collecting seemed like it was kind of something exciting to open up to the general public. So we started off with 10 of them kind of as just, uh, you know, an attempt to see if people were interested in this. We've gotten a lot of interest. Uh, there was some minor confusion about what Sentinel Station meant. And so uh, our, uh, our group decided to change it to something that kind of uh, made a little bit more sense when you hear the name, pollination research stations. So we've uh, we've expanded it from 10 to, I think we're doing 24 different stations all over uh, the state this year as well. And uh, kind of making some, uh, some minor changes that we learned from what people want to see uh, from last year. But for the most part, it's a very similar thing, which is just us kind of opening up the data that we're already collecting and making it look nice on a web page that anyone can visit kind of their most uh, their most local of the 24 different stations and see what it looks like is going on in their area. The pollinator research stations, according to Nye, are meant less to inform pollination management decisions and more so to inform the success level of a pollination season, which can be useful later in the season as trees leaf out and produce fruiting bodies. Real time, what the bees are doing in the fields and kind of... Uh, giving you an idea of how this pollination season is going. So seeing those bee flights and being able to understand what your actual bee flight time is, that, uh, that's been a measurement that we've used in the past uh, for, to try to correlate to kind of a successful pollination season. Um, you know, any uh, rainy days or uh, days that are too cold kind of uh, making us nervous and being able to calculate the actual bee flight hours and correlate that to our uh, a successful pollination season. I think this is just kind of shining some light on what is going on in a very local sense. And uh, I was uh, one of the most excited people to see this last year, being able to check all these different spots and see uh, in real time what's happening um, with the bee flight hours and the temperature. And when there is, you know, a threat, a, a threat of frost around the state, being able to check up on these local stations was uh, was very nice and uh, a pretty fun experience. I would sit down at my computer and check just about every morning just to, to see uh, what was going on around the state. You're listening to My Ag Life. I'm Taylor Jalstrom. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bee's pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Be Hero, Superior Bees, Superior Pollination. 
To help keep prices low and pears fresh longer, Virginia Tech researchers in a College of Agriculture and Life Sciences are examining how fresh pears change during storage and how this information can be used to keep food safety risks low over time. During a two-year $335,000 grant from the Center for Produce Safety, Virginia Tech researchers are collaborating with the University of Georgia to examine different storage methods to reduce spoilage and food safety issues associated with the long-term storage of the popular tree fruit. The research helps consumers and producers alike by keeping prices down and by reducing overall loss. Currently, pears are wrapped in paper in boxes or stored in bulk bins for up to a year. The researchers, including Laura Strawn, an associate professor in the department and principal investigator of the project, will initially look at microbial communities on the surfaces of pears and study how those communities change during a storage environment. Then the top three key players will be identified and tested against a foodborne pathogen. Cost-effective recommendations will be provided to tree fruit growers. With debate over the 2023 Farm Bill set to pick up in the coming months, commodity groups have been building their wish lists and letting lawmakers know what they would like to see in this year's legislation. Representative Dan Newhouse, a central Washington farmer, says for him, he wants a farm bill that encourages and promotes research and development. He says it is important American farmers are on the cutting edge when it comes to producing food and fiber. Newhouse added that the farm bill must do a better job at addressing the catastrophic events farmers across the Northwest have faced over recent years. We've seen an unusual uh, frequency of smoke-related damage to agricultural crops. Many of these things have been kind of treated in, an, in kind of an ad hoc manner, and so trying to do a better job of covering some of these things through the farm, the insurance programs that are available. The chair of the Western Caucus added lawmakers need to make those programs more sustainable, allowing for predictability in farm country. He adds it's not appropriate for farmers to wonder if help will be available. They should know a needed safety net will be in place. Farm bill is something that we pass once every five years. It truly is an important part of agriculture success uh, throughout the country. And just had a, a long conversation with our chairman of the Ag Committee. He's determined to get the farm bill passed on time so that um, farmers in our country uh, will not be left wondering and guessing what Congress is going to do as it relates to farm programs. Newhouse added, conservation issues will be another key topic of discussion as lawmakers work on the 2023 Farm Bill. Wildfires have devastated large parts of the western United States, including forests and grasslands. USDA Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack says his agency is releasing significant investments to combat western wildfires. He says this announcement expands on the Forest Service's wildfire crisis strategy put into place last year. We intend to expand on that effort with resources that have been provided under the Inflation Reduction Act. When we considered where and when and how to expand on this effort that was started last year, we went out and listened to uh, folks all across the western U.S. We also factored in to this determination the most current predictive science and research that will allow us to determine where risks are highest. The agency is making targeted investments in several different states. Today we're announcing the decision to increase our activities with an additional 11 landscapes that span 66 high-priority fireheads in the states of Arizona, California, Idaho, Nevada, Oregon, Utah, and Washington. We intend to invest in those 11 landscapes $490 million 
we expect and anticipate that this will allow us to begin a process in a number of shovel-ready projects that are available in these landscapes, as well as increasing resources from the bipartisan infrastructure law in the initial 10 landscapes. He says the 10-year strategy calls for treating up to 20 million acres of national forests and grasslands and up to 30 million acres of other federal, state, tribal, private, and family-owned lands to make forests more resilient against wildfires. Record milk prices experienced in 2022 likely won't carry over into 2023. That's according to the Economics Unit with the National Milk Producers Federation and the U.S. Dairy Exports Council. However, they say exports are still on track to increase and they expect demand will likely be resilient. Inflation isn't going away in 2023, according to Will Liu with National Milk. He says what they expect to see is perhaps not as high of inflation as they saw this past year, but still if you take out 2022 inflation in 2022, 23, it will still probably be one of the highest inflation periods within the last century. It's still going to squeeze consumers' pocketbooks. He says he thinks you've also got central banks around the world, including the U.S. Federal Reserve, raising interest rates, trying to slow down inflation, but in doing so, slowing down the U.S. and global economy, and all of that really hurts consumers' pocketbooks. What that means ultimately for dairy is that they expect to see a little bit slower consumer demand, but ultimately, what he thinks they want to focus on here is a fact that consumers around the world still gravitate towards dairy even when they're experiencing tighter economic situations. Lou says they view dairy as an essential item and will continue to consume it, but likely they're going to trade down the chain value. Sponsored by the California Walnut Boarding Commission, supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. It's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Thank you.